Welcome to Show Your Scars with me, Jordan Angeli. Using my experience as a former professional athlete, I will take you inside the journey back from a devastating injury. Although we may not choose for this to happen to us, we appreciate who we become in the process. Now, let's dive into this week's episode as we share our strength and show our scars with pride. What's up, Show Your Scars? I am excited to bring you guys a new episode because I think you're going to really like this conversation. I have been following Molly Gray now for a few years. She really interests me because she was documenting everything as she went through her ACL rehabilitation process a couple years ago, and it made me intrigued because she was super vulnerable. She was honest and kind of outright saying that it was going to be a challenge to get where she wanted to get, but she was willing to put in the work. So in this conversation, Molly talks to us about who she is. She's a rugby player from Australia, and she has an incredible story to tell. Molly takes us through her life's journey from growing up with a rugby-loving mom to why she ironically hated rugby the first time she played. We talk about her quick path to her first World Cup and how she learned the sport with men. And Molly takes us through not only her military journey, how that's important to where she is now, but also leads us through her four month ACL recovery to get back to a World Cup and how it was a team effort. Then lastly, she tells us what she learned through that process, what she learned from that quick rehabilitation and what she's using in her process right now. Molly is as vulnerable and truthful as you can get, and you will see she is a really fun, loving person. She really takes over the conversation, which I loved, and tells us all about who she is. So she teaches us that it's okay to be vulnerable and truthful in this process and that those are welcome emotions. I'm excited for you guys to listen to it. So here she is, Molly Gray. Hey Molly, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Good. I should say good morning. It's it's evening here, but it's morning <laughs> it's down there in Australia, right? Seven forty-four in the morning here. <laughs> and you are wide awake. You've already gone down to the beach. You've already had a great morning so far. It sounds like I have. I woke up. I've got a bit of a bird problem at the moment. There's this little bird that's sitting above my above my bed in the gutter on the roof, and it keeps me up from like, I think it's about 6 a.m. onwards or even up to like 3 in the morning sometimes. So I'm like wide awake all the time now. Oh, great. <laughs> I'm Thanks. forced. Thanks, Bird. Forced to be a morning person. <laughs> Jeez. You're like trying to think of contraptions to get the bird out of that little generally area. At, yeah, generally at the moment we're just like opening up the window and we're getting a mop and we're just like smashing it onto the um, – onto the gutter it kind of works but then it, it comes back like 20 minutes later so oh my gosh so you are wide awake <laughs> you are chipper as a bird um I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you molly because i think anyone that um has followed the acl club at all i i've used some of the stuff that you've done in the past couple of years in your injury recovery on our website and on our um our actually on our instagram because you have attacked this process with your whole being and it, it's cool to see you really dive in and be vulnerable i think that's one of the biggest things about you so i want to not only talk about that but i want to start from from childhood you grew up 
in Australia, and I want to know what, what childhood looked like for you. Were you involved um, in sports? Yeah, yeah. I was always involved in sports. You know, my mum threw me into a pool when I was about four or five years old or maybe younger. I don't know. I basically remember starting swimming lessons and I started racing at about five years old and I swam all the way up until I was 17 and I was you know one of those kids that was training two hours in the morning two hours in the afternoon and I was like mum I'm going to the Olympics this is gonna happen like I was so into it and I always wanted to do something with sport and for some reason growing up I was never academic because that's all I ever wanted to do was just do sport and try and do as many as I could um you know, I didn't grow up playing rugby. My mum did, though. She was a rugby player. Um, and how old was she? She must have been about 37 or 35. And we were, like, so, you know, there's three of us. And mum's a, she's a single mum. And so she would, like, pack all of us up in the car. We'd be dressed head to toe in maroon, which was the colours of her team. And then we'd... um. <laughs> And then we'd all go off to our games and pretend to like run around and be ball girls and ball boys and stuff like that. So I was around rugby from a young age, mm -hmm. but I didn't actually, I didn't actually play until I was about 18. So but I tried it. I tried yeah. it in high school and hated it. Absolutely hated it. Oh gosh. Like I'm <laughs> never coming back to that again. Kind of hate. Yeah, pretty much. Um, there was like a school comp being run or something and I got dragged down into it because one of the teachers was a teammate of my mum's and she's like if she can do it you can do it and I was like righto so I turned up and I was still a swimmer and I was still very serious about swimming and so I was really tall and really skinny but like a big set of shoulders on me and um, I ran into one of the tackle bags and I like got up and was just like, no, thanks. This is not, no, this is too rough. I was like, see you later. I was such a pain. I'm used to the, <laughs> the non-contact sports. I'm good with that. Yeah. Yeah. The closest thing that I got to contact was being a goalkeeper in field hockey. And I would like run out and slide and throw my body into people. But that was about it. Like other than that, I, I just didn't want, I had all this padding on, so it was fine. You know, I didn't, I never thought that I would get hurt. Whereas rugby, I was just like, I don't think this is for me. <laughs> but you mentioned there was three of you. Do you have brothers or sisters or who are the three? You and two other. I've got an older, older brother and a younger sister. Okay. And so my brother, he's a, he was a rugby player. He was a league player. My sister just basically copied whatever I did as a kid because our mum told us to. So it was netball to start with and then it was swimming and then it was hockey and then it was basketball at one. I was terrible at basketball, actually. But it was... <laughs> <Me> <laughs> I too. was like the type of person that would just like sort of hang around in the one area of the court. And my tactic was if I hang here, the ball will potentially come to me at some point. But I couldn't um, – I just – I couldn't shoot either. Like there was no way in hell. Every time I shot for the ball, it never went in. So – yeah. <laughs> Sounds very familiar. I was very good at defense, but when my shots usually hit off the backboard and went way too far in the other direction. So our yeah. basketball skills, I think, are, sound pretty comparable. comparable. Um, but athletics, super athletic. You could switch from sport to sport growing up and got a taste of a lot of different things. But uh, when did you find that rugby was something that you were interested in and it, you kind of flipped that switch? Um, so I joined the army straight out of high school. So my brother, my brother joined first. He joined probably 
halfway through 2017. And when I finished school, I had a pretty rough run in the last year. My parents went through a divorce and I just bombed out of my final exams. And um, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So my mum was like, why don't you do what your brother's doing? Go and join the army and just get out of here for a while and just see what happens. So I did that. And I, you know, went off to basic training and I loved that. It was physical and fun and like demanding on your body. And I was really loving that type of environment. And then I got posted up to Darwin. So that's at the top of Australia. And um, it was, you know, it was really great. I was there with all these like amazing girls and I finished out my gap year, probably like, you know, a semi-alcoholic because any gap year, everyone just parties their way through it. But it was the next year when I was still up there working because I signed back on. And um, a friend of mine was playing rugby and she was like, come along. So I was like, oh, righto, go along, see what's going on and see what it's all about. And uh, yeah, I got there and and I was like terrible. I was so bad. I couldn't catch, I couldn't pass. I had no idea about the rules and I just didn't know what I was doing, but I was having a lot of fun. So mm-hmm. I just sort of, it's always, you find with team sport, it's always, you know, that group that you're with and the culture and the community of sport. So I was like, yeah, I guess I'll stay. And I found out that we would have heaps of time off work as well. So that sort of added to the whole thing. So you, you became interested in it. Did, was it something that you could pick up right away? Did you have the time to practice and that's kind of what gave you the love for it? Or how did you, how did you find yourself falling in love with this sport? Because talking to, to you about it now, you seem to have really, you know, it's not that long ago that you really fell in love with it, right? Yeah. I mean, like I was nervous going into training every, like, so we, we had, I don't know, two training sessions a week or three training sessions a week or something. And I was turning up and you know, all of the skill stuff. Actually, I think throughout my entire career, the skill side of rugby has always terrified me. I've mm. never been good at it. Um, it wasn't until the very first game that we played about a month later that that's when I like completely fell in love with the whole thing. And I had no idea, again, what I was doing out there. But all I knew was that I was really good at like catching the ball and then running onto it and I was just really good in contact and I just loved the like the physicality of the whole thing and I was I was always when I was 19 I wouldn't say that I was fit like I am now Mm -hmm. but I was always probably a lot stronger than other people so I sort of I guess I don't know I guess I just sort of dominated in that area yeah and um I remember I came off the field and they were doing, you know, the, the awards or whatever. And they were just, they gave me MVP. And I was like, for what? I don't know what I'm doing out here. <laughs> you're like, are you but sure then, you're pointing at me? Yeah. <laughs> me? Okay. I mean, and I will then, take um, the award, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I got the award and then I had these two coaches come up to me and they were just like, Molly, we're going on a tour to New Zealand and we want you to come along. And I was just like, uh, okay, like this sounds great. It was with it was with the men's tour, but they were taking, I think it was like two or three women and we were scouting for a tour that we were going on the next year. And they were just like, you guys can play a game over in New Zealand with a local team, but you'll be training with the men every single day. And I was just oh, wow. like, this is amazing. So I had that conversation with them, locked that in. And then I got on the phone to my mum that night straight after the awards thing and I just said, oh, it was amazing. And I said, mum, I'm going for it. And she was just 
like, oh, okay, yep, that sounds great, Molly. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was just like that mum thing going like, oh, you're just talking shit. But I was like, no, it's going to happen. I love this sport. <laughs> oh, um, well, I love that. And so ironic that the thing that turned you away from the sport when you were in high school, the, the physical part of it is then, you know, the hitting and the aggression and the contact was then something that you really ended up being good at and keyed into pretty quickly. Yeah, it's um, it was really funny, you know. I I think I've always I've always loved physical. I've always loved physical sports. I mean, while I was playing hockey and and you know smashing into people and and that type of thing, I really loved that aspect of the game. But I just don't think I ever had the confidence because of the skill side of things with rugby to pick it up any earlier. Mm-hmm. And then it was just because I was forced into it from a you know very persistent friend that I was just like, right. fine, I'll stick to this and I'll just give it a go. And from there, it was just, you know, first game, MVP, spoke to mum, going to play for Australia. And then I went on my first tour. I learned so much training with the men. That was, I think that's yeah. one of the best things that I love was that my first real, um, I guess, introduction to rugby was a two-week tour away with a bunch of men I learned how to scrum at second row with these massive like you know by having to put my head in between these two massive props legs and I came out and it was just I had like marks like red marks all up and down the sides of my face because it was like such a tight scrum and I just learned so much about it all and just with the skills thing I was really um I guess lacking a lot of confidence um but they just taught me the basics which just sort of started edging me on that little bit and I just came back out of that with so much confidence and just like this is what I'm going to do so then I went on another tour two weeks later and then I then every year from then on I was like always competing in this massive competition every year so it was amazing well, that's incredible. And just to go into that, it doesn't sound like you were intimidated at all. I think maybe a little scared of your lack of skill, like you said, but to go in there and mix it up with the guys, like, I've seen those rugby guys. They are not <laughs> not small humans. No, they aren't. But, you know, and my brother, he was on the tour as well. Actually, I okay. think he hated the fact that <laughs> um, he hated the fact that his younger sister ended up on tour with him. And ever since, and that was his first year um playing army rugby as well okay so it was just like you know people were dishing out fines and and things like that because you know he's he's brought his sister on the tour and things like that so it was actually really funny but from there from then until now my brother and I have literally done every tour together ever and we have followed the exact same pathway and Mm -hmm. it's just been so good because having him there I think made it okay for me to just rip in and get it done and have that confidence so it's like if someone because I copped a lot of shit while I was on there obviously I was one of the only girls and I was the youngest I think I must have been yeah 19 at the time and I was just this bouncy little ditzy then <laughs> and um and yes yeah, so I copped a lot of shit from a lot of people but having my brother there just having that like sibling rivalry I think it just allowed me to fire up and like bite yeah. back at him and not be scared to like stand up for myself so I just was like all sass the whole time right good and sass is probably a good thing to have when you play rugby too because you got you got to be confident you have to have a little bit um 
I don't know. I think you guys have a, a slight screw, screw loose, right? You don't have any pads. You're just going in there, <laughs> going for everything. Um, so what was the progress there? So you're p- playing on, on these Army tours, correct? And yeah. then what was the progress to the 2014 Women's World Cup? Because you p- participated in that, correct? Yeah, so there was, I guess there was a big gap. So at the time, the so the Wallaroos is the Australian side and I started in 2009. There was a World Cup in 2010. I obviously was nowhere near that at the time, but one of my army teammates had, um, two of my army teammates actually had made it and they'd gone over to that. And I didn't necessarily watch any of it because I was just so, I think I was just a little bit naive about what the whole thing was about. And I don't even think I realised that they'd gone away, but when they got back one of them came up to me and we'd played a heap of games together and um she was just like if you want to play for australia one day i honestly think you can do it so that sort of cemented that idea that you know after my first game ever i was like that'd be cool and after she said that i was like maybe it's possible so after the 2010 world cup there was nothing for the women and that was the problem with with women's 15s rugby at the time was that there was just no there were no tournaments and there was just no um, exposure for them. So it was like, do a World Cup, disappear, turn up just before the next one. So there was nothing that I could do. What a hard I lifestyle. Had start- oh, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. For a lot of girls who wanted to take rugby seriously, you can't. You, yeah. just, you just couldn't do it at the time. Um, and then so every year we would have a national tournament where all the state-based teams would come together. Okay. And the... Defence Force team was an invitational team into that. So 2011, I got to go along to that and played really well. And at the end of it, they called out the, I guess, the possibles team for the, you know, for the Australian side. And I got named in that. But <laughs> the downside to that was that the team wasn't going anywhere. And it was just like, oh, hey, we've like flagged you as potential to play for Australia, but we don't really have a program in place. So yeah, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> cool. So, Thanks. Yeah, so you've got to, yeah, so you actually have to um you actually have to try and stay motivated to be like, okay, so the next World Cup it's two thousand eleven, the next World Cup is in two thousand fourteen. I've got to work my butt off for three years to try and get there and we'll just see what happens. Yeah. Um and then so for me, I just was dabbling in rugby still. I got sent over to Afghan in two thousand and twelve with the army. Okay. And I probably had one of the worst times ever while I was there. I was, um, there were 30 of us, 30 people that went over in this little group that I was with. Mm -hmm. And I was the only girl. Um, Again, another one of those situations where you're the only girl. And because I'd, because I'd done that rugby tour as one of the only females, I was always like, this is cool. I can handle a bunch of dudes. This is fine. I'm a rugby player. I got over there. Yeah, that was that was my thinking, but I was very very wrong, obviously, because there was this um, there was this one guy that was in charge of me who took a bit of a liking to me, and um, I was young and bubbly, and he must have taken that the wrong way because he made a pass at me, and um, I obviously wasn't into it, and um, I had to take a step back from him. And as I like, you know, as I've sort of started to do all of that and just not be as friendly with him anymore, he started to um, he started to bully me really badly. And it started off small, and I was just like, "This is weird. Why is this person being an asshole?" Yeah. And you know, and it sort of 
starts off as things like that. And you're just like, oh, well, he's obviously got an attitude. That's his problem, whatever. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. And then it got worse and worse and worse. And it was every single day. And this person was like edging at me every single day and just cutting me down at every turn and with his snarky comments and all of this. And about a month in, I just exploded because my boss, my my big boss was uh-huh. just like, you need to work with him. He's in charge of you. You guys have to work together. And I've exploded and I've just said, I can't bloody work with this guy because of X, Y, Z. He did this. Uh-huh. He touched me and I don't want to work with him anymore. And so there was this whole big thing about that. But then a day later, he gets put back in charge of me. So um, I'm sort of like diverting a little bit, but this is the big reason yeah. why I do what I do. Yeah. Um, so he gets put back in charge of me and it continues and it gets worse. And I basically turned into this psycho. I was just so emotionally distraught and I was just, I was on edge the entire time. And to have somebody cut you down at every turn, everything you do, um, you know, it just, it really does start to cut away at you and your confidence and your self-esteem. And I was crying every single day. And I was also, um, I was also getting this really big attitude as well. And a lot of people saw that as just me being, you know, me just, just having an attitude and being a bad soldier. But I was literally just trying to survive this person and do everything that I could to stay away from him. And all I kept thinking to myself was like, just survive this last five months. And once you get home, you'll be fine. Like you'll be fine. It'll be great. You'll be with your friends and family. Just get over this. But you, when you're in Afghanistan, when you're in yeah. a country that you don't know, when you're surrounded by dudes, you've got no support network as women to start with. Right. Um, and your hierarchy aren't looking after you. And this person is just like stealing every, every ounce of energy that you have. Like I never thought that bullying was that bad. I always, you know, I think if you've never had it happen to you, you always say to people, um, Oh, just tell them to stop or just walk away or just like get over it. But when you're stuck in a situation like that, you find like kids in school as well. They literally have to survive school for as long as they can. And then when they get out, you know, some of them are like really damaged at the end of it and it takes a long time to get over it. Um, And for me, it was the same thing. Um, I got home and I saw my family and I was just like, oh, finally, like I now have the opportunity to just go back to normal but that wasn't necessarily the case for me because I was still on edge I was so angry and I was so upset and I was just um just really emotional I remember I was out with all of my friends one day and it was Australia day so everyone's drinking and we're at this pub and it's so busy and I was just I felt so claustrophobic and I got so angry that we were there and I just wanted to go home and I lost it in the middle of this pub and I was just like, I need to leave. Yeah. And so, you know, there were, there were moments like that and I was back at work and the same thing happened. Somebody who was like a guy who was, um, you know, one of, not my boss, but in, you know, they were obviously a few ranks above me. They asked me to do something and they didn't give me enough time. And I flipped out in front of him. And then I went and I sat in my car and I just cried my eyes out yeah. for about an hour. And I ended up having to take stress leave for about, maybe about the next three months, I think I had to take off. 
Um, and so I just, I couldn't seem to escape it while I was at work or at home or anywhere. Cause I was just constantly losing my shit. And then I couldn't escape it when I was going to sleep either because I was like consumed by like nightmares all the time. And it was just like, you know, no one ever told me me what it was at the time but I mean if that isn't PTSD I don't know what is right because it was just taking over like every aspect of my life and I would wake up and all I remember was that I, there would just be this guy's face like in my uh -huh. dreams every single night and so because of all of that I got out of the army and I moved back home to my parents house uh -huh. and I was just like broken I was so broken and I went on a holiday to Thailand and I just didn't care. I was drinking, I was partying, I was having fun and I was basically just trying to like run away and avoid all my problems. Right. And um, anyway, so I get offered a job while I was over there. I went to a CrossFit gym and I get offered this job and I was just like, yeah, like I'd really like to do it but the Rugby World Cup was, this is 2013 by this point. Okay. The okay. Rugby World Cup was the next year and I had always still wanted to try out for it. So I said to this this gym, I was just like, all right, listen, I've got to go home. I've got to try out for this thing. If I don't make it, I'll be back. And if I do make it, you'll never see me again. So I left Thailand. <laughs> They're like, great, we'll see you soon or not. <laughs> and, you know, so I went home, started training, and I went away to nationals. And all of a sudden in the November, I received this letter that was just like, hi, Molly, you've been, you know, you've been selected for the Wallaroos, congratulations, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, holy shit. And I, I was over the moon. And I was just like, wow, you go through, life is funny, you go through mm -hmm. these crazy situations and these, these, oh, you just get put into, yeah, the most ridiculous situations that can nearly break you to pieces. But then I just did a big, um, I guess, there was a driving force behind me that was just like, you know, fuck you. I'm going to show yeah. you that I'm not worthless like you think I am and I'm going to make something of myself and I'm going to go and do this and I'm going to be the best at it. Right. And that was, that was, you know, one of my motivators behind how I played at nationals and to why I got selected. And then from there, it was just like on the up. I got a trainer. I stopped drinking. I picked up smoking at the time as well, just from being so stressed when mm -hmm. I was overseas. Yeah. Stopped doing that, obviously, because it's disgusting. Um, and then just went rugby mad and then threw every ounce of energy I ever had into trying to be the best rugby player that I could be. It's a and long story. <laughs> it, it, it is a long story. But I think, it, I think it's important to give some of that backdrop, not only for um, – maybe what you're doing now, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but for your journey and your process, you know, I think people think of these World Cup athletes and these people who get to the highest level and they're like, oh, it must have been so easy for them. It must have been easy for all these people. And it's not. It's through, you know, a lot of different breakdowns and different moments of hitting the bottom and lifting yourself up and choosing yourself over anything else, whether it be a job, it be um, you know, taking time off your job, like you said you did, to, to look after yourself. I think those are all important things that people don't understand if they they don't take the time to listen to it. So I think it's important to know that that journey to the 2014 World Cup in France was not easy for you. 
no, it wasn't easy at all. And I think, um, you know, I think we're all hit with adversity at different points in our lives. And I think it's what you choose to do with it as well. I, these, I mean, God, I've had, you know, between Afghan and knee reconstructions and I've made it into teams. I've got kicked out of teams. I've been on like this whirlwind journey of like ups and downs and adversity is such a gift. I think it's like one of the best things ever and it teaches you resilience and it teaches you just how to knuckle down and get shit done. You can either shy away from everything and go, oh, you know what, I'm just going to go and do that office job over there because it's safe or you can just go stuff it. I'm going to go from here to here and I'm just going to keep on going up and, you know, that's what I chose to do and I find that a lot of people put athletes on a pedestal and, you know, they see on their Instagrams them, you know, training hard or all of their the glory photos while they're playing and then they see them at the beach having you know it's like their lives look (laughs) their lives look pretty amazing and all of ours do but you know when you sort of take the time to listen to their stories and you figure out why they are the way that they are you get this insight into how much hard work it actually takes and what is the driving force you know whether it be you know, for me, like Afghan and bullying or for someone else, it could be a parent that died and, you know, they wanted to make them proud or something like that. You know, everyone's got these incredible stories, which helps to like formulate why we do what we do. Right. And you got a little taste of that. Why you were doing what you're doing is you got to play in that World Cup. What was that like? It was, um, it was, it was great. It was, uh, so I I did a, I debuted about six weeks prior. We went over to New Zealand and I came off the bench and I was not prepared at all. I was so nervous that I ran out onto the field and the first thought that went into my head was how do you tackle? I just like completely doubted every ability that I had. Uh I played so badly I came back off that tour and I was just like, shit, you're not getting picked for the World Cup after that performance because I don't even know who that girl was. And um, and I went back and I got a new trainer. I basically changed everything. I went and I found, I wrote, because I'm a big fan of like writing down all my goals. And what I did was I got this sheet of paper and I wrote down that I needed to get a new trainer, that I wanted to start doing, I don't know, yoga or stretching or something. I needed an eating plan and I needed to map out my day and I needed to do it in a way that was effective to make me the best rugby player right. in six weeks. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, and six weeks is what I had. So I got the call up, I got picked to go to the World Cup and on the, ver- and what was it, the first day that we went into camp, um, the coach, the forwards coach pulled me into his office and I was just like, I'm so sorry. I was like, oh my God. And I just went into this like huge uh, apology straight away. And I was just like, oh my God. And I was just like, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have played like that. That's not how I want to play, blah, 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 blah. And he's just like, calm down. And I just stopped for a second. I was like, right, what's up? And he's just like, I, we weren't going to pick you. And I was just like, yeah, that's fair enough. And he's like, but I picked you because I know what you're capable of. And I just want to see you do it. And I was like, hmm. okay then, all right, cheers. So right. we had an we had an internal game, um, like so the number one side versus the number two side prior mm-hmm. to going to France. And Ash Hewson came over to our group, and she is probably one of the best rugby players that I've ever met. And she came over and she was like giving us a bit of a bit of a g up, and she was just like, see those girls over there, these girls 
are safe. They've already got their they've already got their starter jersey. Without it being announced, they've already got it. They're there. If you want it, this is your opportunity to steal their jersey. You need to play out of your skin right now. They're not your teammates right now. They're your opposition. Go and beat the fuck out of them. And I was just like, yeah, sick. All right, done. <laughs> <laughs> I went out there. I had the best games ever. And then get over to France. And they're naming the side to start in our very first game against South Africa. And I'm sitting there and they're like going to all the numbers and they're like, number eight. And they were like, Molly Gray. And I was just like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> and that was one of my goals. I always said, I'm going to be the starting number eight for Australia. And I first World Cup, third game playing for Australia ever. And all of a sudden, I'm just like, I've got the jersey. I was like, this is amazing. And uh, first game, it was really hot, and I basically went down with heat at the end of it. I was mm. so exhausted. <laughs> so there was another thing. I played a really good game. Yeah, you I gave it so your all, literally. By, oh, I was so fried by the end of it that we won. Everyone's celebrating. I'm crying over at the back of the group, and then I passed out, almost. <laughs> They're like, the one thing we know that Molly's going to give us is everything she has. <laughs> It's so funny. I was just like, you know, you you make it into these teams and you have these experiences and then just like something shit just keeps happening every single time. And, you know, I got over that and I had to, I just needed to drink more water pretty much. And, and I was lying on the ground in the change room afterwards for a good half an hour covered in ice and just trying not to die. Oh it gosh. was so, I was just, my brain was just melting. But, um, yeah, so then we sort of went into World Cup and I was playing and I was getting better and I was really starting to find my feet and my confidence and just assert myself as, like, into the team and as that starting number eight. Right. And I started to really believe that that's what I was. And then we made it to the third game. We were playing the U.S. and it all basically came crashing down because one of my teammates got um, went into a ruck and I thought she'd got the ball back and I sort of lined up next to her and then she gets counter-rucked and falls into me and hits my knee and my knee went one way and my body went the other way and that is how I did my first knee. <laughs> so it was at the so, yeah. first 2014 World Cup. Yeah, yeah. So that was my right knee and I did my I did a full um, a full rupture of my MCL. So it wasn't too bad. Mm -hmm. It was actually it looked horrific. It looked really, really bad. And I screamed and cried like, like a baby because the pop was so loud yeah. and I'd never been injured like that before and I didn't know what it was. And just with the force that they'd hit me, I was so lucky actually that I didn't do my ACL and everything else around it. With the way that with the way that my body was split in half like yeah. you would think but I ended up being really really lucky and I was in line for a sevens contract at the time as well so one I was devastated for not being able to finish the world cup and then two I was just like shit how am I going to be able to sign a contract with the sevens if I'm in a knee brace right you know so there were like a lot of factors in behind that and that was the that was probably like the first time that I've ever really been tested into how much do you want something like okay. like after afghan and everything like that i always knew that i could make it into the side but this next part like getting over this surgery i was just like how much do you want to do this and i threw myself into rehab and i walked out of hospital i've walked out of hospital after every knee surgery i don't know whether that's a good idea or not but i did it yeah <laughs> And um, I got off painkillers about 
two days in and I just was there was I was in so much pain all the time um but I loved it which sounds weird but I loved every single ounce of pain that was like going through my body and I was just it was such a motivator why I was like all right if you can get through this I was like if you can get through this pain you can get through anything I was gonna ask you why why the pain was something that you felt like you loved because I know it sounds weird, but I think it's just one of those things where uh, like rehab is hard. Rehab is mentally and physically hard. And if I can deal with the pain to start with, then I can deal with the pain of rehab throughout the entire you know month's worth of the process that you have to go through. And that's exactly what I did. And I found that the coach that I started working with was on that same wavelength that I was, which is why we worked so well together. And he pushed so many boundaries and like, I guess, encouraged me to have this badass attitude to rehab and just Mm -hmm. go stuff it. Let's just get it done. It was really weird. It's, it's, it is strange, but I mean, it worked for me. Yeah. Is the, is this the same coach that you had through your ACL injury as well? Same. Yeah. 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 Same guy. It's not the, one of the, one of the best things, and this is why I trust him. A couple of months in, I went down to Sydney. I wasn't living in Sydney at the time. So I drove down to Sydney. It's about a two hour drive. And I went and I saw the physio for the sevens and she did a couple of pressure tests on my quads and my hammies. And she said that, um, excuse me. She said that, um, no running and no squatting, um, until, I think there was like such a huge difference in strength and she's just like no running, no squatting until you can reduce that and you need to be able to have even even legs. And I was like, okay, cool. So then I went back home that day and I went into the gym and I saw him and he's like, well, what'd you say? And I said, no running, no squatting, blah, blah, blah. And I said, right, so what are we going to do today? And he goes, okay, so today we're going to go over there and we're going to squat and then tomorrow we're going to go to the track and we're going to run. And I was just like, um okay and I was really conflicted because I was just like there's this team that I want to get into and their physio is saying don't do this but then there's this person that I've put my entire life like in his hands and my rehab in his hands and he'd done everything right so far and I was just like okay I'm gonna trust you and I went and I got under just an empty 20 kilo bar and um he's like right squat and I was like (laughs) okay and I was so terrified yeah and I was moving so slowly down into it and then I got back up and I was like oh that was fine and I was like oh okay cool like you do know what you're doing yeah and then the next day same thing got out onto the track and I basically just run I was running I ran 10 meters and then I stopped and then I ran another 10 meters and then I just did it like that you know people think that a lot of people have seen my rehab and they just go, she's doing too much too soon. But realistically, they're seeing a teeny tiny snippet of, an, like of, a, of a whole session. Right. And there's so much preparation that goes into all of that. And two weeks later, I turned back up to the physio and there was like, I think the difference between my legs was as minimal as I could get it. And right. she's just like, how did you do that? And I was like, well, we ran and we were squatting. Like, it's as simple as that. <laughs> Um, that's incredible. And it's really cool to find someone that you, you can put all your trust in. Was it hard for you each time to like, let go a little bit of that, of that feeling of like taking control and like allowing yourself to trust somebody else in the process? Um, no, it wasn't actually, it was, um, it was really easy with, with him because we just, you know, we have this 
it's great to find a coach that you have such a good connection with who understands what you want to do, what you want to be, how you want to build your body and then, and you know, where, where exactly you want to go. And that's exactly what he did. And like, I had no idea how to do it. So I guess when you, when you line, line yourself up with, with a coach like that, you have to be able to give over the mm-hmm. majority of yourself to them because they're the professionals. They're the ones who are going to get you there. And there's no point paying them all that money if you're not going to trust them. You know, if you don't trust them, go on. That's why you see a lot of people. They're like, I've got this coach for this and I've got another person that does this part. And they've got so many people that are in the mix of what they're doing that it's confusing after a while. Lots of conflicting ideas. And you have to be really selective about the team that you choose to work with to build your body. You know, mm-hmm. your body is is a, it's, it's purpose built. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah, but but what I found with that though, it was actually really hard for me to trust anyone else. Got so, it. Yep. Yeah. I get yeah. that. So that was, yeah. So that was probably one of my biggest, um, uh, I guess, attitude problems. Maybe like people looked at it as an attitude problem. I looked at it as like devotion to a coach. Yeah. <laughs> and other people looked at it as an attitude problem because I didn't necessarily agree with what they were saying. Because by the end of rehab, I was an 80 kilo player I was really fast I was really lean and my body was just this like machine and I didn't want to trust anybody else because I was just like you felt the best yeah you felt the best you had ever felt before yeah yeah so yeah so so that that was was so you get back from that that was your right knee you said right yeah that was the right and so you get back and you're playing a couple of years, you're feeling fit and lean and strong and fast and all of the above. And you're, you're prepping for another big tournament. And in that preparation, you unfortunately tear your ACL. Yeah. So a couple of years later, so that was back in 2014, 2015, I signed with the Aussie sevens End of 2015. I got dropped obviously. <laughs> and, um, 2016 is, I was really back. quick is Aussie sevens that's it's harder because there's less people on the field yeah yeah it's a lot faster you've got to be really um you've got to have really high skill and me being the player that I am I'm fast and I'm strong but I don't necessarily have the ability to pass the ball long distances right. accurately something right. I should have worked harder on but I think I was always just so focused on being one of my mantras was like, be the strongest, be the fastest. It wasn't necessarily be the trickiest player out there. So yeah. I just wasn't suited to the Aussie sevens. I was a 15th player through and right. through. So 2016, I was back with the Wallaroos and I was the biggest and the fittest that I'd ever been. And I was so happy. So 2017 comes around and that's a world cup year. And I was like, right, I planned my year out. And I was just like, I'm going to play, um, you know, we had a, a tournament at the start of the year. I had Army later that year. I was going to play all of these other things that were going on and my year was set. And I was like, I'm going to be so match fit by the time we get to, um, by the time we get to Ireland, you know, people are just going to be like, whoa, what the who hell is, is going on with her? Who is that? <laughs> exactly. So it was, it was February. We, I was gearing up to go to my first tournament, which was in Brisbane, and it was just a bit of a muck around. It was a tens tournament, um, so the format was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And um, and first day we went out there, and there was a massive crowd. We were just an exhibition match. It was this, you know, huge tournament for all the men, 
and um, there was like 20,000 people there or something. And the first day I played like garbage. Second day I was like, right, get out there, show them what you're made of. And I was like, cause I did my hair differently on the first day. I had a different pair of boots on and I was like, crap. So I like went and did my hair normally, did all the stuff that I usually do when I play. Cause I'm like weird like that where I have to well, go through a process. Yeah, kind of. I never thought that I was like that until one day I was just like, my hair was different. I was like, oh, no, I can't have that. <laughs> um, so I go out. <laughs> so I go out there on the second day. It's so weird. I go out there on the second day and I'm ready to go. I'm mentally prepared. And I was like, this is going to be amazing. A minute in, there's a scrum. The ball comes out the side. I pick it up. I take off, like I ran really wide and I was like running over towards the sideline and I was just like, fuck yeah, this is on here. This yeah. is, I was about a good 60 meters away from the try line, but I was like, I got this, this is fine. And then all of a sudden I see the winger from the other team who was on the other side of the field running towards me. And I was like, oh, I'm not as fast as her. <laughs> so she gets to me and I've got a really good, um, I've always been known to have a really good fend. So I threw my my arm out at her and I went to try and get her in the chest and she got underneath my hand and she hit the side of me and my feet clipped together and as I did that I threw my left leg out and I felt my entire left knee go as soon as my foot hit the ground and I was just like it was the biggest shock I think I've ever had the first one I did was a pop this one, I just felt everything. Mm -hmm. I ended up doing my ACL, MCL, PCL, meniscus, dislocated my kneecap, sheared off a bunch of cartilage, and I tore my VMO as well. So wow. I just, like, destroyed it. And I was, like, screaming on the ground, and I just couldn't stop crying because I, like, the pain goes away. Mm -hmm. Like, for anyone, you know, for anyone who's had a knee reconstruction and I'm assuming it's the majority of people that listen to this you know that the pain will disappear after about a minute my like agony that I was in was coming from the fact that I was like I know I knew that it was my ACL because I felt it snap at the front mm -hmm. and I was just like that's a minimum of a six-month injury and I've got six months that's all I've got and I'm still gonna have surgery and I just knew that it was near impossible that I was going to be able to get to the World Cup. And it just broke my heart. Yeah. So that sucked. <laughs> Did you sit in that pain, like the pain of the reality of the situation for very long? Or how quickly did you snack back into it and say, okay, if this is going to be something I want to go for, I need to get going? Um. I was so um, I was so conflicted by by what had happened um, and and like the uncertainty of whether I was going to be able to get back in time that I was in Brisbane and I we flew back to Sydney and I woke up the next morning and I had to get up and, and go into the shower and I got out of bed and I started to get really dizzy and then I got into the shower and I was like getting really dizzy and I had to like hold on to the walls and I I was in so much pain and um, I went and I sat on the side of my bed and I just started crying and my mum called me and I was just like, I can't deal with this. Like, this is too much. And, um, you know, so it was pretty consuming. And then I had to go to the doctor and then I had to go off and go get some scans and I had to take myself there because no one was around to take me. So I'm driving around. I have an automatic Ugh. car, so I'm, which was easy for me. Like, obviously, my left leg doesn't have to do anything. Right. But 
I got pulled, if I got pulled over, I mean, that would be another story. But um, so I've driven myself to um, to the to the the scanning place, and I was walking up a set of stairs, and I think I had crutches at the time, and I sort of lost my footing a little bit, and I threw my bad leg out. And it just like the pain that oh. just went shooting up inside me. And oh. I just stood in the middle of the street and I started crying again. And I was just like, I can't do this. Oh. So I get in there, get the scans done. I go and see my surgeon who did my first knee as well. And we go in and we sit down and we have a big chat. And I was still pretty, I was just, yeah, pretty fried from it all. And he's like, what do you want to do? Because I've got a couple of options. And he said, I can give you a Lars graft, which is the synthetic one, or you can do a hamstring. And he's like, made me go away and think about it. And he's like, you've got a month to think about it because I'm not operating for a month. And I was like, what do you mean you're not operating for a month? Yeah. I had a World Cup. I was thinking I'd go in on the Monday and get surgery on the Tuesday. It doesn't work that way, apparently. <laughs> um, so I had to have a, I had to wait a month. And I was really struggling with what I wanted to do. And I, um, I was talking to my chiropractor and I was talking to my trainer and, and this is that team that I was talking about that you've got to build around you. Yep. You know, I've got a trainer who does everything for me, but then I've got this amazing chiropractor who, you know, it's not about you know cracking your bones and that type of thing. He is like a rehab genius. Mm -hmm. And so the three of us were sitting down and we were talking about it and Luke, the chiropractor, had gone away and he'd spoken to some surgeon friends of his and what to do and blah, blah, blah. And I, I guess... I found out with the Lars graft was that if I did that, there was a higher percentage that it would, that it would re-rupture. Um, and if, it, if I made it through the world cup, it'd probably go in four years time. And I was like, I don't think I'm ready for that. Um, so I went back to my surgeon and I said, right, we're going to do the hamstring and I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm just going to go for it. And I'm just going to see what happens. And he's like, all right, I'll do the hammy, but I'm going to do a hybrid. So I'm going to chuck a Lars graft in there with it. All right. I've done it for one other person and I'm going to do it for you. And he's like, I think that you can get back in time. And that's all I needed. I yeah. just needed. Like the, the last time people. too. Yeah. And I was like, I just need the three people that I trust, my surgeon, my Cairo and my trainer to all be on board with, with the plan. And I went and I had surgery and then I walked out of the hospital. It was hilarious. My, my <laughs> mum forgot my crap. <laughs> <laughs> my mum forgot my crutches. I woke up from surgery and I had a complex. So I woke up and I'm lying in bed and I'm just like chilling out and I was just a bit groggy. But I chucked my complex on my leg that had just been operated on as soon as I woke up and I yeah. just started sending those electric pulses into it. So I got stuck in straight away because I was like, I got to get shit done. Um, my mum forgot my crutches. So I was like, right, I'm going to walk out of here. And I was like, like, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't like I strutted out of the hospital and I'm like, see you later. See ya. I literally held onto the... <laughs> I literally held onto the walls and tried to like drag myself out. And it was so funny. My mum's like, I'm going to go get you a, um, I'm going to get you a wheelchair. And I was like, I am not sitting in a wheelchair. I was just like, no, it's not going to happen. So got back. My mum was looking at me for a week. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you do, you can't yeah. have ego while you do this because ego is negative, but you can be sassy about it and you can just be like confident in what you are yeah. choosing to do. Um, and if someone who you trust tells you not to do it, then don't do it. Right. Um, so I spent the first week, um, with, with mum, and, um, I rested the whole week. I had the complex on my leg every single day from the mm -hmm. start. 
Um, and then on day eight, Instagram, day eight is where we started. Um, you know, I went to the Cairo and I was, my, my flexion and extension were already really good. My extension more so. And, um, and from there, he's like, can you just stand up for me? And he put a box behind me and he goes, can you just sit onto the box? I sat down and it was only like, it was a pretty high box. And then he's like, okay, now stand up. And I did that. And all of a sudden I was doing these box squats mm-hmm. at eight days post-surgery. And I was just like, fuck, this feels great. Yeah. You know? And then I was amazed. And that was one of my first videos that I put up. And then the next day I took off to Newcastle and I took my complex with me everywhere. Like I swear by that thing. And I saw Daz and I was like, right, what are we going to do? And he hooked it up to my quad. And so it was my quad and my VMO were the two points that we were starting to hit really early on in the piece because obviously we know that when you have an ACL reconstruction that your entire knee, like your entire, all your muscle just Atrophy. like deteriorate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's like, right, I need you to lunge. And I was just like, dude, I can't lunge. What are you talking about? And he's like, just try. So I was, and there's another video of that on there. I'm walking like a baby giraffe or something and I'm just like, <laughs> You know, but, and it wasn't a lunge. It wasn't at all. But it was just me sort of leaning forward into into what would what would potentially be a lunge. But um, yeah, it was just getting that body moving and just testing the waters with it, but not being too crazy. And that's how we. That was our approach to the entire rehab. If it's working, just do it because yeah. I don't have time to. I didn't have time to take a step back and and really go okay you need to rest for a month and then you've just got to go from there like I had to hit it hard because I had this goal and I feel like for you one of the things that sticks out to me is that you really knew the difference between joint pain and pain that was saying stop don't do that and the muscular pain like okay my muscles are tired and fatigued and working hard because they haven't maybe done this kind of work in a a few weeks or whatever it may be. Um, But you didn't have the pain that was setting you back during the rehab process in within your joint or the swelling really. It sounded like that compacts really helped you get the swelling out. Yeah. I mean, I was really lucky in that first one where I had like next to no swelling at all, which was incredible. And, um, and that's one thing that, that I, I've always said to people, there's a difference between pain and pain. You just have to figure it out. Right. There's pain from going to a gym and being like, oh, I'm sore. I can't do this. It's too hard. <laughs> and that's just you being a bit of a pussy. Whereas there's actual pain where your body is just like, stop what you're doing. Yeah. And I had to figure out the difference between that. And like, that's why when I walked out of hospital, there was a little element of that and a little element of ego in there. And I was like, nah, she'll be right. She'll be right. You know? So I found early on, and that's, I think that's part of the reason why I came off the painkillers as well was because I wanted to be able to feel what pain feels like. Yeah. So I knew how to, I knew how to recognize. Yeah. So I knew how to recognize the difference between the two while I was training. And like, I mean, there were days when I was exercising, and just trying to trying out new things and just doing oh, the repetitions rehab is all about repetition and it's boring and it's mentally taxing and there are days when I would be in the gym and I would be doing something and I would be crying while I was doing it people would come over to me and they're just like oh my god what are you doing stop and I was like no I'm fine I'm just tired and I'm yeah. just 
mentally right now, like I was just over it, but I was like, well, you've got to get it done. So there's like the pain of rehab, but my body was fine. Like I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily tired to the point where I needed to stop. I was just like, this fucking sucks, you know? What was the hardest part for you for that rehab? Oh God. Um, those workouts that my trainer made me do where it was 400 kettlebell clean and jerks. And I had to do it sitting down. That was the toughest part for me was just like turning up to the gym and realizing that I had this workout in front of me. that was 400 reps of the same thing. And I've never done 400 reps of anything. So I'm, and there's a video on my Instagram of that as well. And you can see the final 10 where I'm sitting there and I've got these two, I think they're like maybe 12 or 16 kilo kettlebells. And I had to sit down because I had that hammy graft and obviously we all know that if you've got a hammy graft it pulls and it hurts and so I initially tried to bend down and swing it between my legs to get up there but I was just like and that's when I felt my hammy just like pull and I was like hell no I was like and that is pain yeah yep that is your body going settle the fuck down it's like so I had to figure out a way how to do it and get it done and I sat down and that's all you have to do is just that one thing that will allow you to get shit done still. And so I sat down and I basically tried to like clean the kettlebells up. And then I had to, and because I didn't have that momentum right. to be able to like really like chuck them up in the air. Yeah. I had to, I had to strict press these kettlebells up 400 times. Wow. And it was fucking horrible. Yeah. And it's just showing up, you know, like showing up day after day. I think that can be the hardest thing and it can be the most mentally grueling and one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast is for people to know that like it is not easy going through this process and if you feel like it's tough mentally well you're you're within good company because a lot of people feel that exact same way oh yeah and one of the hardest things it's like when you come from that like when you're the type of person who's very active who goes into the gym who throws around big amounts of weight and all of a sudden you're sitting down and you're having to do this one thing. Like within the first 10 days, we, we put up a stretchy band in between the rig and I had to get my bad leg and just push down on it. And that Uh was it. And there's a video of that as well. And I loved it. It was great. But I had to stand there, hold onto the rig and just press down into this band. And it was just resistance. And it's like, I was getting so angry that my body wasn't allowing me to do the easiest things that something that before it was just like, whatever this is, I don't even know, but I'll do it anyways. But all of a sudden this was my training now. And you have to mentally go, okay, my body's not capable of one thing. I got to reteach it how to do that. And that's the hard part. People think like a lot of people, when they saw me get back and make it back in time for the world cup, they were just like, Oh, she's back. Oh, that's a bit unfair. She hasn't been around all season. And I was just like, fuck you wow I was spending four hours a day in the gym Mm -hmm. trying to get my leg to grow and to be able to like adapt quickly and so yeah so much work goes into it and there's such an an ounce of like I think it's actually a big healthy serving of humility like you were saying is you go from this big strong athlete who can do anything and everything in these huge tackles right to it being difficult to like press a band down with your leg. So that, that humility of 
of going from strength to weakness, I think also allows you to appreciate what your body's capable of when you do get back to like doing all these great things again. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, another reason why, and this is what I said to him, because those 400 reps of whatever it was, like it changed every now and then, but the reps always stayed the same. I didn't understand it. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, why do I have to do this? And he's like, because it's mentally coaching you into just get it done, Molly. And I was like, oh, okay. And that was why it was a lighter weight. So Mm -hmm. it was just like, 400 reps is going to suck. I need you to show up. I need you to get it done. And I need you to trust me that we're on the right track here. Mm. So, you know, you get this appreciation of the process. And I think the process is more important than the outcome. What did you tell yourself in that process? What was, what was your mindset or what was something that maybe you clung on to that allowed you to get through that? Um, I had affirmations all around my house and I, I basically had scribbled in, in like thick black texter, on, on different pieces of paper and hung it up all around my house. And it says, you are the strongest, you are the fastest, you are the, by this point I'd moved from an eight to a six. And I was like, you are the starting number six for the 2017 Women's Rugby World Cup. I was so specific in what I wanted to be. And I convinced myself that like, this is where you are going. So when I'm sitting there and I'm working through two or 400, you know, reps of whatever the hell it was that day I was just like that was my mantra the entire time it's just like get it done because this is where you're headed like you know and that was my motivator the entire time and it wasn't you know it it definitely wanted to be able to be there for my teammates and everything like that as well but like ultimately if I'm being honest like I just wanted to get there for myself because I know the type of athlete that I am and I obviously want to take part and be a part of the team but when rehab is such a personal thing and it it's a battle if you're then else so it was just that was my mantra the entire time well it seemed to pay off because you got named to that world cup team just a few months later was that a feeling was it better or worse you know how do you just how do you compare it to the first world cup team um I got selected, so I kept in, because, so all the videos that I made, I did that for myself, and I did that for my coaches as well, and I basically was just like, look at me, like, I'm training, and I'm coming back, and like, I'm coming from a spot, because initially as well, when when the accident happened, my forwards coach came up to me, and he's just like, if you can make it back in time, we will take you, and I was just like, sold, all right, Um, so you know, I was on the phone to him once a week, just letting him know what I was doing, where I was at and whatever. And he calls me up one day and he's like, Molly, it's our intention to take you. I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, are you actually taking me? Like, is this the phone call to say, hey, you're going to the World Cup? And then uh, he sort of dragged it out and he was like, you're coming. And I was just like, holy shit. And I was like, Scott, I haven't even played a game yet. He's like, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You're coming. I was like, okay. He's like, you've got to get cleared, obviously, but I'm naming you so you've got a month window to get it done and um and you're coming to Ireland so there was this big press release I was there and it was you know Molly Gray's back in the team welcome back blah 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 and I'm sitting there and I was just like I'm not gonna tell anyone that I haven't been cleared for this yet I was and and it sucked though because unfortunately somebody who was completely Mm. fully able-bodied got dropped 
to bring me back in. And that was probably one of the hardest things for me to come to terms with as well because I'd taken someone else's spot. But the way that I had to convince myself that it was okay was that I'd been there since 2014. I'd had this terrible accident happen to me and I've worked my ass off yeah. to get back. And I'd made it clear to everyone that I was coming back, right. you know? So it was definitely something that, that I had, I'd battled with for a while, but fuck, you've just got to, yeah. you know, you've just got to get it done. And that's, yeah. that's the, that's sport. You know, if, even if I was, even if I was fully, you know, able-bodied or whatever, it would just be, it's always a competition between me and the other girl who's, you know, vying for my position as well. Absolutely. So it is what it yeah, is. It is. Um, in that you, you make it to the World Cup, how how was playing there? Did you feel like, because you were what, six months, not even six months post? Five? Surgery. Yeah, five months post surgery. What, <laughs> what was that experience like? Did you feel like you had gotten back to yourself or were there still things that you were working through? No, I was fried. I was, my body was not happy with me at all. And rehab was, rehab was easy in comparison to what I was going through when I was there. I got named in the starting side. I don't even know how that happened, but I got named in the starting side. Um, and so I got my Jersey back and, um, not that it's my Jersey, but I got the Jersey back that I wanted. And, um, I got tackled in, no, I had the ball and I was running into someone at training and I hit the ground and my knee was getting really swollen by this point. I'd had a bit of a, I'd had a bit of a fall on the field a few weeks earlier where I was just doing up down stuff and I got up and pushed to go backwards and my knee collapsed in and I felt something and I was just like, that's really weird. And I was really worried and I ended up back at the surgeon's office and I was just like, I think I've done my ACL again. And he played around with it and he's like, there's an end point, so you're fine. And I was like, right, that's all I needed to hear. So Mm -hmm. there was just swelling. I get over there, I run into this girl and as I hit the ground, it felt like my kneecap had come off and it had just sort of fallen back into place. But what had happened was that there was so much swelling in my knee by this point that the fluid had just pushed from one side to the other. And it scared the shit out of me. And I started crying and this is like the day before our game, our very first game. And that was the first time that I had, I'd played a game prior to leaving, but um, it was just a local game. And, you know, just some friends of mine let me come on for the last five minutes and I just wanted to see if I was okay. And I I couldn't, I was walking around for the rest, running around for the rest of the training session and I was crying and I was so scared. And I was, and that was the first time I'd really been like tested mentally. And the coaches took me off and they're like, just go chill out, hang out by yourself for a bit and just, you'll be okay. Like, I'm glad that this has happened now because you know what's expected. So I got my knee drained later that night and I had about 60 to 80 mils come out. Wow. And no wonder you felt that fluid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then after that, every four days, I was getting 40 to 60 mils drained out of it. So I would play, um, I would get it drained and then I would play the next day and then we'd have a four-day break in between and I would get it drained the day before and then I'd play the next day. And I, I did that for four weeks and it was 60 mils every single time. And I was there, I was living and breathing rugby and I was just like, you know what, there's no turning back. Like, just get it done yeah. and deal, deal with whatever this is when you get home. And I knew that it wasn't good. Um, 
So by the end of it, I had been prodded and poked with so many needles that I was like a fucking nutcase. And I was so over rugby and yeah. I was getting really burnt out and I just wanted to go home. Um, and it wasn't, and it's really interesting actually, while you're rehabbing and you've got this goal and you've got this, you know, FOMO basically, yes. <laughs> I don't want to miss out on anything. Oh no, yeah. And I was so focused on that, that by the time I got there, I was so shocked with the fact that I knew my body wasn't ready. Like physically I looked great. I felt great but my knee wasn't ready to play yet I managed to just scrape through I got through every game but it was so bad by the end of it like mentally for me that I got benched the last two games I only played like 30 minutes you know and I went from being the previous year being an 80 minute player to being a 30 minute player and Mm -hmm. that played on my mind and I was like I don't want to go out this way and I want to I just wanted to get better so we got back home I didn't speak to anyone and I just didn't want to play rugby anymore. And I was like, you know, just trying to get into CrossFit actually. Cause I've always, my style of training is, is really CrossFit. Yeah. And I was like, maybe I'll go do this for a little while. And my knee kept swelling up. So I managed to go into my, um, I went into my surgeon's office and I was just like, dude, what's going on? Like I need to, you know, I need to sort this out again. And, um, he sent me off to uh, where did he send me? He sent me off to go get another scan, and come. I came back and he was like so apologetic, and he's like, "I'm so sorry, you've re-ruptured it. You need to go in for surgery again." And I was I was actually okay with that because I knew that that's what had happened. I knew that that's where I would end up. And a lot of people have said to me throughout my rehab, I copped a lot of shit, and it was just like, "This girl's crazy. She's gonna need a revision." blah, 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 blah. And I was like, no shit. Like, I'm not superwoman. Science is <laughs> science. is science, And right. people have had ACL reconstructions for how long? I know that if I come back after five months, that it's probably not going to hold. But I'm so passionate about what I do right. that I just wanted to give myself the best shot that I could. So I was gearing up for my second surgery. No one knew about it. Um, and all of a sudden I've come out of surgery and a couple of my mates are just like, uh, what happened to you? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, well, back here again, no wonder. So, yeah, so that was pretty traumatic. Well, I think a lot of athletes would do exactly what you did if given that situation. You know, we've seen it from Lindsay Vaughn doing what she did with the Olympics, tearing her ACL and getting mm. back, you know, as quickly as possible, knowing that, you know, it might not work and she might not make it there, but like, when you're so passionate and you love something so much, that's what happens, right? You give it your all and everything. And, um, you know, that that's a hard thing to sit in that office and hear those words from your surgeon and to know that you have to do everything over again. What do you think you learned from the first time that you've now implemented in the second, this second revision? Do you know what? I actually didn't implement anything. What happened to me after the second one was pretty standard for you put all of your energy and your effort into the first one and Mm -hmm. I threw my entire life into it come the second one I knew that I would probably potentially never play again 
from what I did. And I was just like, I don't know if it was worth it or not. So I battled with that for a while. And then I just wanted to relax. I'd spent years and years rehabbing. And I'm, I think I'm better known for my ability to rehab than my ability to play rugby. Sometimes. Girl, you Google my name and it says Jordan Angeli ACL. That's the first thing that pops up. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I yeah, get it, Google. It's, it's so frustrating. Yeah, but like, it's really frustrating. Um, I just did that, but I went too far into it. And I basically just partied for months and I just didn't care anymore. And people are like, oh, come in and we'll do some work on your knee. And I was like, I don't care about my knee anymore. And I'd had a patella tendon graft this time mm-hmm. and I was in so much pain. Like I used to be addicted to the feeling of pain because I wanted to push past it. And this time I was so overwhelmed by it that I was just, just, I don't know. You just get really consumed by it and everything that I did, it was constantly hurting. And I just like completely gave up this time. And it's only been in the last few months. Like I fell into a pretty big hole after that. And I wasn't training. I went from, you know, being in the gym for four hours a day to, not training for weeks on end and my body didn't look what I I had to, I had to come to terms with that is that my body was purpose built the last few years. And then this year it was just like soft in places that it wasn't meant to be soft. Like, you know, you just, everything changes. Mm -hmm. And I had to battle with that and the fact that I didn't think that I cared anymore. And what I realized though, is that I do care but I was just grieving now. I was just grieving this whole process. And it is totally fine to grieve the fact that you can't play anymore. And you can only put your body through so much before it says, I am tired, leave me alone for a while. And that's, you know, and that's what it was. And that's what I had to go through. And I had to, I guess, figure out what my priorities were and figure out my what next. And that took me a long time to figure out because rugby had been my life. And if someone had said to me, like, you need to go to university and study while I was playing, I was like, I don't want to because I'm too busy trying to be the best rugby player in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden I didn't have rugby. So I was like, well, what do I do now? <laughs> yeah. Well, Molly, just for a second, I want to just acknowledge you for being like so vulnerable and so real with that, because I think a lot of people do struggle with that, those feelings of um, mourning, of grieving, of feeling lost and like they don't care when really we care so much that it hurts so bad, right? That we don't know what to do next and we don't know what it means to live a life without something we love so much. So um, really, I think that's going to touch so many people and to know that there is something beyond that too, right? That the lessons that we learned within this process help us beyond, you know, in our sport, if we're given the the opportunity to play again or choose to play again, but also beyond and with what we're going to do next. And you found yourself using those lessons in a way that you can now um, not only stay in the sport you love, but you can also, you've also started something new. So, Um, kind of tell us about that transition into what's been next for you within the last few months. Um, So I got offered a job at Fox Sports at the start of the year and I'd always really enjoyed the media and I'd said yes to, you know, every interview that I could because I always knew that this was a a pathway that I wanted to go down. And I did an interview last year um, on this show called Kick and Chase about my rehab 
and um, I went in there and it was all sass and there was, you know, I was just really relaxed and there was this round couch and it was really deep. And I said to the girl that we were, I was with, I was like, whatever you do, don't sit back straight because you'll look really fat on camera. So I'm like leaning on this couch, just having a chat, being real cash. And I get this phone call in about February or March this year and they were just like, we loved what you did when you came onto the show. We heard you're not playing anymore. How do you feel about coming on and being a full-time panelist on our show and I was just like what okay (laughs) (laughs) and I just got to talk about rugby and that was my first real introduction into the media and did that I started commentating rugby like the women's rugby so Australia introduced a tournament called the Super W which was an elite competition for state-based teams and I got to commentate the whole thing or just color commentate but you know, it was it was really interesting because it was opening my eyes up and giving me this new, um, you know, you find when you're playing, you're so consumed by that that you don't try other things. And all of a sudden I'm trying all of these new things and you're starting to like reignite a passion for something else. Yes. And it's okay to love something else other yes. than the sport that you were playing. Preach, girl. <laughs> Preach. Yeah, yeah. And for me, the hardest thing was that I was still well and truly in that hole that I was in. So I was battling with, oh my God, I've got this really great opportunity with Fox, but I'm also like incredibly depressed on the other, on the other hand. So, you know, once or I'll bet, you know, two times a week when I was working with Fox, I was in there and I was on and I was just working it as hard as I could. And then on the other hand, I'd go home and I'd still be crying my eyes out because I can't walk up a set of stairs because my knees are so sore. And um, yeah, so I guess, you know, come July, I did, I did end up doing dry July, you know, be sober for a whole July and raise money for um, raise money for cancer and things like that. And it was the best thing that I ever did because it put my life back into perspective. And I just sat, sat down and, you know, I wrote on my, I wrote on my wall, you know, there's a, there's a wall behind me right now on my, on my cupboard that's got um, whiteboard marker all over it that has this whole goal list about what it is that I want to do now that I can't do sport. And I started to realize that, my story, as long as it is, because we've been going for nearly an hour and a half now. <laughs> I love it, it though. It, this has been great. It has the ability to, I guess, inspire a lot of people. And it's just like real talk. And it, you know, I talk about the highs and the lows and the gross, the gross that is training and rehab and post rehab and the depression that you can fall into and self sabotage in a way as well. And, so I was sober all of July and I, um, cause I was not sober this year. I was, yeah. I was really, really bad and I didn't necessarily see it as a problem. I just saw it as letting my hair down, but letting it down way too often. So I signed up to uni. I started a journalism degree and I also decided that I wanted to start my own podcast. And I, so I started to like create this idea and I was like, what do I want to do? And I was like, I want to tell stories of inspiring women mm-hmm. and initially it was this really broad idea and I was like no I want to tell stories of inspirational athletes girls that I know through sport that have just got shit done and but also like the highs and the lows and the gross mm-hmm. you know the gross and the real and so I started this idea and I'm still working with Fox and I'm hustling with Fox trying to you know make it in a man's world over there and be like I want more ed time I want to talk about more women's rugby and blah 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 and you know, so there's that, there's the podcast and I've started working with, I've started collaborating and building another team. I had my team 
of trainers and rehabbers. And now I've got this new team of creatives that I'm working with. I just did a media course yesterday with the most fabulous fucking woman I've ever met who has taught me so much in four hours of intense training. I've working with a guy who is incredible. I went to school with him and he's got his own production company called Palo Creators and he does videography, photography, website design. He's a musician. He he you know he's helping me out building like he said to me, "You want to do this podcast? Are you doing a website?" And I was like, "Why would I do a website?" He's like, "Because he's like you're a product, make yourself a brand. Yeah. You want to talk about mental health. I want to talk about um, bullying. I want to talk about body image. I want to talk about all of these things now that I, when I sat down and I thought about it, these are all the things that make up who I am. And these are the things that have like driven me to be who I am and to train the way that I trained and to like reach for everything that I've reached for. You know what I mean? And he was just like, you need to create a platform for that. So we did a photo shoot together the other day to like rebrand me. He's like, sport is who you are and it's a it's or it's a big element of who you are but let's rebrand you and send you out into the world as this new person that you want to be and I found this like new love in you know like storytelling and like I know this whole hour and a half has been about me but I really want to be able to have the opportunity to do exactly what you're doing is like tell the story of the gross and the real, basically. Well, Molly, you're going to do a fabulous job because you led that podcast. Like everything we just talked about, you really, <laughs> you led it, right? You knew exactly where I was going to go and you, you so uh, beautifully just led us on this path throughout your life in this storytelling uh, this ability and we just came to this end this conclusion where it's like these are the the really hard lessons I learned in my life right I learned these lessons and they were they were depressing and hard and dark and really difficult to get through but because I got through them I can now help somebody else get through maybe avoid it or get through what they're going through and you've kind of wrapped it all up in that and um you're going to have to tell us what this project is that you're working on and how we can follow you because I can, I know I have a lot of people from Australia that follow along and I'm sure they know who you are and they'll be excited to support you and everything that you're doing. Well, okay. So the project is called boss women project and I love that name and it took me so long to actually say it out loud and to just start to like live and breathe everything that it is. And it's, you know, women empowering women and inspiring women. And so I've just started my, I've got an Instagram page. So it's at boss women underscore project. And it's, there's not much on there yet, but there is, we're in the process of building all the content for it. The podcast is being released soon um, and the website should be ready to go in about a month. So, you know, if people want to follow the Instagram, you'll be able to keep up to date with what we're doing when we're releasing things. And it's just about, you know, hustling and getting shit done. And I think, you know, for those of us who have had these big injuries and who have managed to go through all of the crap and then overcome them, I really feel like we have a job to inspire other people to just keep going and to work as hard as you can and sometimes 
unfortunately, like in my case, where you can't do what you've always wanted to do. So you've got to figure out your what next and you've got to figure out your why. And figuring out your why can take a really long time. But as soon as you figure that out, you'll be able to do everything else. If you go why, then what, and then how, you know, that's how I work now. It's like, if I know exactly what my why is, then I'll know exactly what it is that I'm actually doing. So, mm-hmm. and that's what we're aiming to do. So we're just mm-hmm. aiming to inspire people. So, you know, like that. definitely check out the Instagram yes. and then follow us and figure out where the hell we're going. We, we will tag all the, I'll tag all the things that you just mentioned because <laughs> I do, I can't wait to watch you and support you and what you're doing because, um, yeah, you've inspired me for, for a couple of years now. You know, I'm, I'm always looking at people who are, um, so tuned in to what their process is, right? And it is almost more about the journey than it is about the destination. Yeah, it's nice making it to certain destinations, but who we, <laughs> who we become in that journey is what it's really all about. And um, with Show Your Scars podcast, one of the things that I talk about often is, um, and I ask everybody, is what does Show Your Scars mean to you? And for you, you have mentioned not only the physical scars that you have, but the the mental scars and the emotional scars as well. But when you look at those scars on your knees or the scars that you think of when when you think of scars, what does that, what do they mean to you and what they have they taught you? Um, Do you know what? (laughs) I've got a friend who's got a couple of scars on her legs and she's so embarrassed by them. And I just said to her one day, I was just like, you don't need to be embarrassed by them because it's, it's, it's what you are. And my scars is a ridiculous journey. There's like, there's two world cups in my scars and there's this journey of self-discovery and figuring it out. And just, I guess the grind of getting what I want to get, like just achieving and just getting shit done. Basically, you know, I love the fact that I've had three knee reconstructions now because it's taught me to be, bigger and better and to never shy away from what I want. And, you know, World Cup, that that second World Cup that I did, it taught me to, like, reach for the top. And if you get there and it blows out, figure it out along the way. You know, I think, like I said earlier, adversity is a gift and embrace it for what it is. It's okay to be sad sometimes and it's okay to grieve and be upset, but make sure at some point, that you just try and find, figure out what inspires you and pick people that inspire you as well and draw from them. And that's exactly what I do. I draw from people that inspire me. So I love my scars and it just, they make me who I am. Ugh, what a great answer. I love it, Molly. <laughs> Molly, this has been so fun. Not only like chatting with you, but like, I think we just broke the the record of Show Your Scars podcast <laughs> longest episode. <laughs> But I was so into it, and I think a lot of people are going to find a lot of help in what you said. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for taking a bit of your morning to chat with us. That's all right. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm sorry that I really dragged it out, but <laughs> no. it's so much fun. Don't you be sorry, right? You own it. Weren't <laughs> we just talking about that? Own it. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation I had with Molly. As you heard, she's doing a lot of cool things in Australia right now and starting her own company, her own podcast, her own website, all of the above. So make sure you check it out. I'll tag everything in the show notes. 
We are so excited to have shared Molly's journey. And if you guys have a story to tell, please write us in the review. Let us know if you have someone you want us to interview. These are the ways that we get more people to interview. So write a review, rate us on iTunes, or send us an email. Hopefully we can get those people on the podcast quickly and get to tell their stories. So as always, thank you guys for your ears. Thank you for listening and get out there and show your scars with pride.